Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. Amen. Wow. So, uh, swim party today. I know you're looking forward to that. I bought a new Speedo. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Uh, get to see the endangered albino whale. Uh, It's dangerous. It's endangered, so don't hurt it. Uh, Anyway, so we're in this series today, Been There. One of the worst feelings in life is having to wait. Don't you hate waiting? You can't wait in traffic? Oh, the traffic out here is getting horrendous. I hate waiting in the line of the grocery store because when you're, when you're, as you're walking up, you're assessing. Home Depot, any, any checkout line, you're trying to assess, you know, uh, the people that, the checkers, you know, and the people that, what they have in their cart, and how long it's going to take. So you're, going to, you're trying to, right? You're trying to pick, how can I get in the line that's, and I'm, I'm a bad picker. I always, I, I pick poorly. I, you know, it's like, and, or you get in line at the bank and you're like three cars back and you see there's another, and so you're, there's two lines of three cars. And you, so you pick, you know, and you think, and you're like, why is that line moving? And my line is not moving. Right? So, or someone that's slow to respond to a text you text them and they don't text you back for like a day or two days. Uh, or uh, this is a common family complaint with Tina, so I'll just throw this out there. I'll throw her under the bus. She never answers the phone. Uh, we've had an intervention and uh, it, it hasn't helped. It's hard to wait, I, you know, waiting on the doctor's reports. You ever go to the doctor, you know, and they say, well, it looks serious, <clears throat> you know, and so you think, okay, so they run some test, and then you're, you know, they think you may be dead tomorrow, but we won't have the test back for two weeks, so, you know, hope. It's just, they're, they're in no hurry. They don't care. You know, it doesn't bother you, and you're just thinking, I'm just, the phone rings, you think, oh, oh, I missed the call. Uh, so it just drives you crazy. I hate waiting. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait, especially on God. Some of you've been waiting a long time. Maybe you've been praying to be married, for God to bring you a, a good spouse. Some of you've been praying, <laughs> praying for God to heal your marriage. Uh, some of you've been praying a long time for a baby, or you're praying to overcome depression, praying to get out of debt. Uh, you're praying for your kids, and you're hoping that they'll be okay. You're praying to be healed, maybe emotionally. You know, there's a lot of stuff. A lot of people have been through a lot of stuff. Trauma. You've been through difficulty and pain and pretty common. I don't think everybody goes through a lot of stuff, but some people have been through some really dark, difficult days. And so you're asking God to help you get through that. And maybe you, maybe it's happened when you were a kid. Maybe it's a long time ago, but it's still causing you trauma, difficulty, and you're still trying to deal with that. Or physically, physical stuff. Trying to get over physical stuff, physical pain. If you have pain today, 
uh, and you go to the doctor, they're not going to give you pain pills anymore because they don't want you to be addicted. So, you know, they're going to give you like Tylenol. Like here, tough it out, buddy. Because uh, it's, it's hard to get, because of the, the abuse of pain meds that has happened, it's hard to actually get pain meds. You, know, you, you have surgery and they give, them like, give you three pills and say, here, <laughs> try not to take these. Uh, so sometimes it just, why does it take so long? It's, sometimes you wonder, is, is God listening? Does God care? Is, is God really there? What's going on? And if you've ever felt like it takes too long, that's what you know, we're talking about in this series. Jesus has been there. Jesus understands. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 is our text. Therefore, since... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tipped in his all things, in all things, as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We're often waiting on God's yes. It's just the challenge of enduring, and Jesus has been there. So if you're waiting, it helps to know that Jesus knew how to wait too. So why is God so slow? That's the message today. Why is God so slow? Why does he take so long? I mean, think about it. Jesus knew about his mission. He understood that he had a mission. Uh, the only biblical story we have uh, of Jesus, of his childhood, is that he went to visit the temple when he was 12 years old and he got lost from his family on his way back and he didn't show up. And they, when they found him, he was with, uh, he was with the scribes and the, the priest and he was uh, confounding them with his wisdom. And, uh, and they said, where, where were you? Don't you know that you, know, you scared your mother by running off? And uh, Jesus said, why is it you were looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So Jesus had this sense of that, you know, he's of who he is, but he doesn't get to begin his ministry. That's 12 until he's 30. That's 18 years. That's, that's a long time. So he still had to wait. In John chapter two is when Jesus begins his first, his ministry. It's, uh, it's the wedding of Cana where Jesus turned water into wine. It's the wine lover's favorite Bible story. Uh, they, can, they always know this one. Uh, oh, well, Jesus turned water into wine. So on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and the disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what, and, you know, when he said that, he backed up a little bit. So... <laughs> So he could get out of, you know, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. So Tina and I were talking about this. So it's, it's apparent that Jesus had performed some miracles that Mary had seen, right? But he hadn't done any public ministry, public miracles, you know. So here he's performed some miracles. So she's saying, okay, it's time. You know, why not now? And, he's, and he said, my, my time hasn't come yet. So Jesus is here to fulfill his calling. He's here to, to, he's here to die on our behalf. 
So Jesus understood that to begin the miracles publicly, to begin his public ministry, began the march to the cross. He understood that once he, once he, once he pulled the trigger, once he began the ministry, that it was going to end with him dying on the cross. So what is God doing while we're waiting? Because it seems like God's not doing anything. And the Bible tells us pretty clear that while we're waiting, God is working. While we're waiting, God is working. Isaiah chapter 64, 4 says, For from the days of old they've not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God beside you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. So how is he working? So if God's working, how is he working? Well, sometimes God is working on it, you know, the problem. He's working on the thing that you're wanting to see happen. But why does it take so long? Because God could do it like that, right? Of course. Maybe it's not ready. Maybe it's not time. God's working on it, but it's not time yet. And maybe you're not ready. And God is working on you. Sometimes God's working on it. And sometimes God's working on you. Sometimes we may think, you know, I don't understand why God won't give me what I want when I want it. Like, but why would God give you more money if you can't handle the money you already got? You know, most most lottery winners are in just as bad a shape. I think it's like three years most lottery winners end up worse off than they were before they won the lottery. So quit trying to win the lottery. You'll just be worse off. Just put the money in savings and put that 15 bucks that you were spent on lottery tickets, whatever. Uh, you can't handle it. You, we want more influence, but maybe before we have more influence, we need to grow our character first. This is what happens. You know, we see, we see famous sports people that end up with a lot of money and a lot of influence, but they don't have a lot of character. And their influence outpaces their character and they get, end up getting in trouble because they, they don't know how to deal with fame. And so they get in trouble. So one of the things, sometimes God is delaying. He's protecting us. We don't see it as protection. He's protecting us from what is to come. So God's helping us, maybe wants you to grow your character so that you'll be ready for what's coming. Uh, he wants to mature us. God's lifelong goal for you, God wants you to be more fruitful. He wants you to accomplish all that you have the potential to accomplish. So he's helping you to grow. He's helping you to mature. He wants to teach you to trust he wants to teach you to learn. He wants you to learn to trust him more. You need to always be learning to trust him more. Some, sometimes God does something in you before he does something through you. Genesis 17, 4, God's speaking to Abraham. So Abraham's getting the revelation that he's going to be the father of many nations. So God says to Abraham, and behold, my covenant is with you, and you'll be the father of a multitude of nations. So God gives this promise to Abraham. Hey, you're going to have kids. He, he's 75 years old. He hadn't any kids yet. 
God tells him he's going to have kids. He doesn't have kids till he's 100. So God makes this promise to him, you know, and you're thinking, I mean, he had this incredible encounter with God, and he has this dream and the smoking lanterns. It happens. God makes this covenant with him and all this. And, you know, it's very exciting. And you think, hey, this is going to happen, you know. Get ready, Sarah. It's, it's happening, you know. Nothing happens for 25 years. Joseph, Joseph, his brothers sold him into slavery. Joseph had a dream that his mother and father and his brothers were going to bow down to him. And like an idiot teenager, he told them his dream. You know, like, hey, hey, y'all are all going to worship me. And they're like, ah, watch this. So they threw him in a pit first and they sold him into slavery. And he was in slavery. He was in prison in Egypt for 13 years before he was overnight released and elevated uh, in the land of Egypt. But he was, <laughs> it was 13 years before he saw the dream fulfilled. Moses was in the wilderness for 25 years, so he murdered somebody. And he ran to the wilderness. So Moses is a murderer. You think, man, when you read the Bible, you'll see that God used a lot of really messed up people. Have you ever wondered why God used so many messed up people? That's because that's the only kind there are. <laughs> we just, you know, what if somebody wrote your story? You know, the secret stuff? It'd be kind of scary, wouldn't it? So Moses waited 25 years in the wilderness. He does, I mean, he's not waiting for anything. He's just like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just here. You know, I'm living it up. I'm raising these, my father-in-law's sheep. And he, he encounters the burning bush. And God calls him to lead the children of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. It's 25 years. I love the story of David. David's one of my favorite characters of the Bible. And David, at, at the age of 15, about 15, Samuel anoints him to be the king of Judah and Israel. He anoints him to be king. And then Saul, then David, has to run for his life for the next 15 years until he's 30. He's not king until he's 30. And the last 10 of that are Saul's trying to kill him every day. It's like, you might look back and think, well, we could have put this off a while. This whole anointing thing would have been a lot easier if you just waited like two weeks before. But what, see, God was doing something in each of these people. He was teaching them to trust him. He was preparing them while he was working. There was a timeline that God was working that they couldn't see. That's, that's the problem. There's a timeline. There's a perfect timing that God's working in our life. God's working, but we can't see it. God's working, we don't feel it. Saul, in the New Testament. So Saul is a, is a he's against the church. He's fighting against the church. I mean, he's, he's doing everything he can to destroy Christians. He has... He's, he's carrying them off into prison. He's having them killed. And so one day, he's on the road to Damascus. He's got letters from the high priest. He can, he can do in Damascus what he's been doing in Jerusalem. He's going to go punish Christians. And while he's on the way, he encounters the living Christ. 
he meets Jesus, and Jesus says uh, that, hey, I got a job for you. And so Paul has a different life. Paul gets called to do God's work. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, verse 5, it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So God says to Paul on the road to Damascus, Hey, Paul, you're my guy. You're my guy. I need somebody to go and reach the Gentiles, and I want you to do it. And so then he spends the next 12 years making tents in Tarsus. So God says, okay, I need you. And then the next 12 years, he's in Tarsus. Learning to endure. God's preparing him. God's doing a work in him. He has that 12 years to, to nail down his theology and to know what the Old Testament said in relationship to Jesus and how it applied to us. So Paul is able to nail down the theology. So then when he begins his missionary journeys and he's running for his life, when he's in prison without any, without any books or anything to help him, he's able to write letters that we use today. You see, while you're waiting, God is working. Even if you don't see it, even if you don't feel it. So what do you do while God's working and you're waiting? One of the things is you don't want to waste it. You don't want your waiting season to be a wasted season. It's, it's not wasted if you will continue to grow and in God. We, we use the time. We're not wasting the time. If When we're waiting, we should be serving. We should be using the gifts we have to the best of our ability to the glory of God. We should be using what we have. Uh, we should be learning to pray. You know, we, we should be, during those times, learning how to, how to call upon the name of the Lord. We should be growing. We should be learning the scripture. We should be growing and becoming more fruitful. We should be growing while we're waiting. So we shouldn't wait just passively. You know, I think sometimes we think of waiting as doing nothing. But that's not what the scripture implies. The scripture doesn't imply waiting is like sitting in an easy chair waiting for something to happen. It's, it's waiting, not passively, but waiting faithfully, doing all that you need to do, letting God prepare you in the process so that when the door does open, you're ready to go through it. It's never easy to wait. But let, I want to just show you something that I think is encouraging. So God gives the promise of the Messiah in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is the first promise that we see that the Messiah is going to come. And it's, and it's God is talking to the serpent. In Genesis 3, 15. And he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So, so then Jesus says, I came to destroy the works of the devil. So this is the promise. This is the first kind of, you know, to get a glimpse of the Messiah is going to come and help us get out of the mess we've made in the garden. Then he tells Abraham, in you, all the world is going to be blessed. He, he doesn't even kid yet. 
Yet he tells him, in you, all the world is going to be blessed. He reveals through David. He says, David, in you, there's going to be an eternal kingdom, not just a temporary kingdom, not just an earthly kingdom, but through you is going to come an eternal king. So then the prophets, after David, they, be, they got the promise and they're declaring, hey, there's a Messiah coming. Something's happening. The promised one is coming. And they're just telling God's people, hey, you need to get ready. You need to prepare yourselves. And this, this happens. And thousands of years go by and it hasn't happened yet. Why did God wait so long? Because it wasn't time. The world wasn't ready yet. There's a period of history that's known as the intertestamental period. From the end of Malachi, the last book in our Old Testament, or it wasn't the Old Testament, then it was just the Torah. <laughs> it was just the Hebrew Bible. It ended, the Hebrew Bible ended with the book of Malachi. There was a 432-year period until John the Baptist began to speak in the name of the Lord from the end of Malachi to the, John the Baptist. During that time, God didn't speak. Now, they'd been through all kinds of difficulties, but they always had prophets and priests to declare to them the word of the law, the word of the Lord. And now, when, while they waited, God's not talking. He's silent. No prophets, no word from God, just, you know, no text. He's not answering his phone. Sometimes it feels like that. You ever feel like that? Like you're praying and like, it's like it's hitting a, a tin roof. Nothing's happening. God's gone dark. You get nothing from him. And we're saying, you know, God, just give me a sign. You know, give me, some, give me how about some warm, fuzzy feelings? God, I haven't had any really good, warm, fuzzy feelings that you love me in a long time. I would like to have some warm, fuzzy feelings. And I, I have those. But there's times you don't have them, right? Or, you know, it's like, man, I just, how about a, a, a Bible verse, you know? And so you look at them and say, they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Well, I didn't want that Bible verse. I didn't want a verse that told me I need to wait, you know? I wanted a, a now verse. Or, you know, we're listening to the radio. We think maybe I'll hear a song or, or maybe the preacher will say something that makes sense for a change and we'll get something from him. Uh, but it's nothing. It's silence. But get this. Just because God feels silent doesn't mean he's absent. While you're waiting, God is working. What's he doing? Well, Galatians 4 tells us this is how Jesus came. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. There, 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 there's a specific moment in time. You realize there, there are specific moments in time. There are chronos moments and there are kairos moments. A chronos moment is a chronological moment of time. A kairos moment is a specific moment like the moment that a baby's born. We write that down. That's the birth date. We signify that. When special things happen, he said there was a, there was a there was a kairos time. There was a right time. When the timing was perfect, in God's view, God sent his son. And now that we look back, we can look back on that period of time, that intertestamental period of time of silence, 
and we can see why God waited for the exact right time. In that 400 years of silence, there were some things happened. One, the Socratic method became a new way of teaching. So instead of the didactic method, which is directly teaching truth, uh, which is what I'm trying to do right now, uh, students were encouraged to ask questions. Please don't do that right now. Uh, to have a dialogue. But it be, it, it, you can see that in the ministry of Jesus. He's telling stories. And he's interacting with the crowd. The Old Testament then was also was translated into Greek. It was translated into Greek because... Alexander the Great has conquered the world in 327 B.C. So, so the Old Testament that was in Hebrew, so you have to think, not a lot of people knew Hebrew. The Jews was not a large group of people. But the, the Old Testament, the, the Torah, was then Septuagint, was translated into Greek. And so uh, about 280 B.C., in 327 B.C., so go back in time a little bit, uh, Alexander the Great conquered the world in 327 B.C. He, you know, he wasn't always Alexander the Great. He was just Al. And then he conquered the world. So I went fishing with Al. I, I don't ever go fishing because I don't really like to fish. I like to catch fish. And if you want to catch fish, go with Al. Because Al knows how to, I'd have to call him, if I was referencing, he's Al the Great. Because <laughs> he knows how to catch fish. I mean, we, so I was with Lori and Al and Doug, one of Al's friends, and we went fishing for just a couple hours. We caught 51 fish. Now, I didn't catch that many, but Lori, I was on the back of the boat on one side, Lori's on the other side. And, and we'd, we'd catch a fish at the same time. And I'd reel mine in, and it'd be tiny. And she would, I'm like, what? How is this happening? Every, every time. So, uh, so he's Al the Great when it comes to fishing. He's Al the Great. So Alexander the Great conquered the world. He became Alexander the Great because he conquered the world. So now because he conquered the world, now everybody knows a little bit of Greek. It becomes the commerce language of the known world. Everybody, he conquers the world, so if you want to do business, if you want to get along, everybody knows Greek. So everybody speaks a little Greek. At the same time, all through this 400-year this period of time is the diaspora. It is the, the spreading of the Jews. Before that's even happened, they've been sent off into Babylon, into captivity in Babylon. And so... Then the Jews get released from captivity, so they're, they're, they end up being spread out everywhere. They're, and so at the time of Jesus, there were, there were Jews everywhere. So one of the things that happened, so when they, when they got sent into Assyria and uh, into Babylon, into captivity, uh, their worship had always centered around the temple in Jerusalem, right? But now they can't go to Jerusalem, they can't go do their feast in Jerusalem anymore because it's a long ways from where they live. And they can't get back there. A lot, for a lot of times, they were slaves for a, long, a lot of years. And so they developed this mentality that they're going to have synagogues. So everywhere that they had 10 
Jewish men, they could have a synagogue. And so that caused them to have in each of these synagogues that they would have all around where there were communities of Jews, they had synagogues, and they would have portions. They would have the Torah. They would have the Old Testament in either Hebrew or Greek. So now you've got spread throughout, you've got these Jewish people spread all throughout the world, the known world, and they have access to the scripture. And by even AD 132, the Jews are forbidden to be in Jerusalem. Uh, Hadrian has driven them out. James 1.1 says, he's, now James is writing this about 70 AD, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are dispersed abroad. Greetings. And then, starting in about 300 BC, the Romans developed roads and highways throughout the empire. So if you see this map, the red lines are all the, which would in essence be paved roads that, that they developed thousands and thousands of miles of maintained, probably better maintained. I, I don't know if you know this, but the concrete, the concrete that the Romans made 2,000 years ago is superior to the concrete we have today, and we have not figured out how they made such good concrete yet. Their concrete is better, and it's still there. It's, it's, it's amazing. But you look at that map, you can see... So there's so now there's now suddenly there's access. So so for the first time in history, people are encouraged to ask questions. So God sent the answer. Jesus. Everyone had access to the Bible in a language they understood. The good news could spread through the common language to the Jewish people and their synagogues throughout the known world, and travel was easier and safer that the, than he'd ever been. When the right time came, God sent his son so that within several hundred years, a large portion of the Roman Empire had been evangelized and had become Christ followers. So that Constantine in 325 basically said okay, we're going to let the church, we're going to quit persecuting the churches because he was, they were losing the battle numerically. So God, why did God do it? Because it was the right time. He waited to the right time. If you're struggling in your waiting, I get it. You know, when we're, we're waiting for God to answer a prayer, you know, when's my child going to come to Christ? When's my husband going to come to Christ? When will I get a decent job with benefits? When, when will something good happen in this marriage? When will we finally get a house, quit paying rent on this, this junk of a house that we're staying in, you know, that the AC doesn't work? When, when will we get a dependable car? You know, and we're asking these questions. We feel like we're in a holding pattern, and it feels like God's given us the silence treatment, just because God's silent doesn't mean he's absent. He's not ignoring you. He's not neglecting you, and his promises to you haven't been forgotten. So maybe it's not ready yet. It. There was, there's a time. God's working on it, even if you can't see it. Maybe you're not ready yet. 
God is working on you. There's something he wants you to learn, learn to trust him. He wants you to grow. What if God's waiting on you? 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord's not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. It says, you know, God's patient, waiting for us. Sometimes God's waiting for us. He's given us more time. Nothing is more annoying these days than someone coming to your door. You know, someone rings your doorbell, and I don't know if it happens to your house, but our, for some reason, our dogs go crazy when you ring the doorbell. I just have one dog, so I don't know why I said dogs. I just have a dog. Uh, and she's 11 pounds. It's not like she's this, you know, ferocious pit bull. Uh, she just thinks she is. <laughs> and she goes crazy when you ring the doorbell. So you go to the door, and it's, it's you know, you're, just like, you're like, who? you know it's not going to be anybody you know. You don't care. If it's somebody you know, you'd be, you'd be so surprised. Uh, but, you know, you, you expect it. It's always a salesman of some kind. And usually, nowadays, you're, you're just surprised if it's not a roofing salesman. But what if you went to the door and you're kind of disgusted, but you go to the door anyway, eventually, finally, or maybe you just turned the lights down, actually, you weren't home. Uh, but you go to the door and you open the door, it's Jesus. Wouldn't that change how you responded? And so think about that. Uh, that's one of the things Jesus wants us to do. Uh, there, so there's this, there's this passage in, in the book of Revelation where it talks about Jesus said, He's talking to the seven churches. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I'll come in and fellowship with him and he with me. Now, we often use that verse as a evangelistic verse. It's like you don't know Jesus and Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. You know, Jesus wants to come into your heart. Say yes to him. That's not, I mean, that's not a misuse of the verse, but it's, it's not written really to lost people. It's written to Christians. So he's saying to Christians, he said, hey, I'm standing at the door knocking. And if you'll open the door, I'll come in and fellowship with you and you with me. You see, a lot of times we think the solution to our problem is the end of the problem. But God often thinks the solution to our problem is him. Relationship with him. Jesus is the answer. We think, oh, well, I, I wish this would go away. But even if it doesn't go away, Jesus wants to help you through it. I wish this was happened. What if it doesn't happen? Jesus wants to be with you in the sorrow and difficulty of it not happening. He's, he's with you. He's... He's, he's saying, hey, hey, open the door. Let me in. And he's saying that. He's saying that to believers. Because I think sometimes we, I think sometimes we shut him out. So he wants us to invite him in. So when the waiting, when we're waiting, waiting's hard. And we all hate it. 
Sometimes God's working on it, working out all the details of it. It takes time. And there's a perfect time. There's a moment. I was thinking about my dad. My dad, when I was, uh, when I was two, or a little younger than two, so my dad was about 32. When my dad was about 32, uh, he had real bad arthritis, and it was getting worse. And he worked in the second story uh, for the city of Abilene as the purchasing agent on the second floor. They didn't have an elevator in their old building, their old uh, city building. He had to climb those, the stairs. It was very, because of the, what was happening with the arthritis, it was very difficult. So, uh, one day on a Sunday night, we always went to church when the doors were open. On a Sunday night, we're at church. I'm two, and uh, about two years old. And right at the end of the service, I had to go to the bathroom. So, you know, back then in old churches, the bathrooms were like back here. Because if you got up to go to the bathroom, they wanted you to feel shame. <laughs> because you didn't control your bladder long enough and that you had to go and look, everybody's w watching. You go to the bathroom. Uh, so we had, the, the bathroom was, so we're in this little tiny, I mean, it was a, I mean, it, a two-year-old, I still remember it as tiny, so don't tell them how small it was. You know, we're in this bathroom. And while we're in the bathroom, God spoke to my dad. Not verbally, but God, but my dad felt like God said something to him. So while he was in there, uh, my, my dad said, he felt like the Lord said, I want you to go down and be prayed for, for your arthritis. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever done this, but a lot of times when I felt like God said something to me, I've argued with him, which is crazy, but you know, but my dad said, no, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I've been, I've been prayed for a bunch of times and nothing's happened. So, in that moment, he felt like the Lord said, no, you're going to go get prayed for. <laughs> and so he, you know, he's okay, okay. So, I mean, he, so when he walked out, like a little side room like that, a little side door, the service was over, and the pastor was there, and my dad walked up to the pastor and said, I, you know, I was just, I need you to pray for me. And so, they prayed for my dad. He was instantly healed. Never had my dad to, until his death. Never had any arthritis issues ever again. It was a moment, and you know it was it, it was a God moment. And sometimes sometimes we don't we don't know when that's going to be. It, it's a Kairos moment of time where we say. And sometimes it's where God's saying, hey, open the door. And we're like, eh, it's kind of inconvenient. I don't know. You know, I'm in my underwear. Be a lot of trouble. Jesus says, do it anyway. What's he doing? He's working on it. He's working on us. So let's stand. I'm going to pray for you.
God still does stuff like that. You know that? He can do it for you. So maybe you're, maybe you're just going through something you think, God, I just want this to be over. I need help. And I, I've just found that sometimes God will solve the problem, but sometimes God will just make himself known and real to you, and he'll help you work through the problem. And it's a process. But he's in both of those. If God does it momentarily and miraculously, that's incredible. But if, but if he's with you through the process, that's wonderful too. So Lord, thank you. Lord, we just thank you for being with us in the process. The way we are, we want, we want it quick, Lord. We want it to happen tomorrow at 3 o'clock or even preferably right now, better today, before we walk out of this room. We want it now. And Lord, it's, we know you can do that. We know you, can, you have the ability to do it. You're not limited in any way, but we know, Lord, also, a lot of times you're working on the process within us. There's something you're working in us. You're getting us ready for what you want to do. So, Lord, we just say, here we are. We need you, Lord. We're going to open the door, and we're going to invite you in because the solution is not always the problem going away. It's you showing up in our life. So we just say, yes, Jesus, come in. Open the door. Let him in. He's knocking. Let him in. Lord, we invite you in. We invite you into our mess. We invite you into our trouble, into our trauma, into all the stuff that we are. We, we just say, Lord, we need you. All the things that we need, Lord, we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you. We'll be here at the front if you need prayer or anything. Have a great week. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.